In a world where people are dying of boredom, one man brings entertainment to the masses. Prepare yourself as we enter the mind of Phantom Dark Dave. What's up, everybody? You're listening to a brand new episode of the All Things Dave podcast, and I'm your host, Phantom Dark Dave. I got Andy back on the show, and we're talking about the 1981 slasher, My Bloody Valentine. Andy, what's up, dude? What's up, Dave? I am excited to talk about an 80s slasher, man, especially this one. I know. I don't know about you, but I actually love this movie. Yeah, I know this is great. It's it's one of those... uh, it's not only an 80s slasher, but it's a Canadian 80s, 80s slasher film. So this kind of has a, like a special place, I know, in our hearts because you, this kind of stands with the other Canadian slashers like Prom Night and uh, Terror Train, you know, things like that. So it's pretty cool that uh, because of a tax loophole, we got some really cool movies. Yeah, that's true, man. And you know this is a Canadian movie because there's actually a guy in it named Happy, and Canadians are known to be happy. <laughs> yeah they are but uh yeah this is cool and this episode was supposed to come out a couple of weeks ago kind of lined up with the holiday but uh my job just kind of had some other plans for me and the schedule got moved around but i think andy and i were like well just because the holidays passed i don't care we still have to do this film because it's a lot of fun oh yeah for sure man this is this is a just a great slasher all around and i mean yeah i would i would i'll talk about it any time of the year all right, man. Well, let's dive in. Uh, you know, this movie was directed by George Mahalka. I may be saying that wrong, but, uh, you know, he directed a um, handful of other horror films. There's one called Eternal Evil. There's one called Hostile Takeover. There's The Psychic, which I've seen the cover. There's Relative Fear. He did a couple of hockey movies, but it was cool to see that he did a documentary on the OG slasher film that probably had a lot of uh, inspiration pulled from for this movie, and that was uh, Black Christmas. Have you seen any of his movies? No, I've not seen any of the, any of those besides my Bloody Valentine. Okay, I'd be definitely interested in checking out the documentary on Black Christmas because that's another really fun movie. But let's talk about uh, the writers, man. This movie had two writers credited to it. We had one named John, it may be Beard or Barrett, and he really didn't do a lot. He did a movie that was called Baker County. It was also known as Trapped, but it was cool that he had an uncredited writer's credit that sounds funny on happy birthday to me and that's another real fun slasher yeah yeah it's not too bad yeah i like that one too may have to do that in september you know happy birthday to me (laughs) oh there you go but uh this movie also had another writer and this is probably like story versus screenplay uh by a guy named stephen a miller who he didn't do a lot of horror but he was very notable for his work in comedy which probably leans to a lot of the good comedy we have in this movie but he did tv shows like jefferson's archie bunker art is it archie yeah archie i said archie archie bunker's place airwolf simon and simon magnum pi nightman kung fu so a lot of that 70s and 80s tv shows and that's kind of cool to see but i was kind of shocked that there really wasn't a big horror writer attached to this project yeah, yeah, you just never know uh, who's going to be attached on these. Like, I think sometimes they just kind of put together people like 
because you know, like I said, it's like a tax shelter thing. So they just want to make a movie. They don't care like if it's good or not or whatever. <laughs> they're just they're just yeah bringing people together. Say hey, let's make a movie and then get it done. And that's crazy how it happens, right? Because like the government pays for this movie to be made. Like if we had that today, I don't even know if we'd have horror movies anymore. I don't know. I mean, uh, well, now it seems like they're just uh, companies are shelving movies at, for a tax credit. No it seems like no kidding. I hate that. <laughs> yeah, it's really crap. Really shitty. Let's get into the synopsis. It's uh, real simple, you know. Beware, Harry Warden. You know, a local miner. He goes crazy and he vows to kill anyone who has a party on Valentine's Day. And that warning isn't taken too seriously because a group of people decide to have a party and they start getting killed off one by one and they give Andy and I a reason for the season, my dude. So I know we both like this movie a lot, but one thing I don't know is, you know, how many times you've seen it? So when, what's your oldest memory? When's the first time you watched it? Um, the first time I saw it, I, I know it was like in the mid, probably early to mid 2000s. Um, I was kind of going on an 80s slasher craze. I like I, I watched. Uh, I think it was prom night. It was funny. So after I watched prom night, I just really got a bug for watching 80s slashers, and so uh, and so I saw prom night around like 2001, 2002, probably somewhere around there. And so I just started watching all these 80s slashers. So I know it was sometime in there that I watched My Bloody Valentine, and. Uh, I, I think it was one of the first ones that I watched because, it, you know, it was one of the, even though it's like maybe not well known in like mainstream circles, like this is a well known like slasher and like 80s as far as 80s slashers goes, one of the more well known ones, I think. Yeah, and that's the thing too is like as far as the popularity to the world, like this movie isn't held in the same regard as Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Scream or something of that nature. But for anyone who likes slashers, I think most people do have a fondness for this movie. And I'm like you, I actually saw this back in the early two thousands. I think it was because it had its DVD release. Like I never saw it before then on VHS or anything like that. But whenever, you know, I was hooked into the horror genre, probably because of Scream and other movies of the mid to late 90s, you go back and you start watching a lot of slashers that are mentioned in Scream, and, you know, that gets you to prom night, and there you go, that's your connection, you know. But uh, I remember I really liked this one, and I thought that the setting overall was a, was very different and very cool. Oh, yeah, for sure. You got this, like, mining town, and I love... I love movies that are like set in and around mines. It's, a, it's such a cool setting, and there's so many things you can do with it. And uh, so you have the the mines, and it's kind of interesting. Like I guess when they were scouting locations, they saw they found this mine, and it was like a mine that what I don't remember if it wasn't used anymore or what, but they so they paid to you know use the location to film this movie, and and the people that owned it, they actually cleaned up the mine before uh, the film the filming took place and when the the film crew got there they were surprised at how cleaned up it was they were kind of like disappointed because they really were into like the griminess of it just the how it looked when they first visited the visited the, the location so they actually had to take time to kind of dirty it back up and kind of get like junk out and stuff and make it look like a real mine that was being used oh, i thought a, that was kind of funny backfire man and then knowing that they probably had to spend more in the film's budget just to make it look like a mine again yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was crazy. <laughs> and one thing I, that we should say right now, 
um, is obviously if you're listening to this for the first time, welcome to the podcast. You know, Andy and I are, are you know longtime buds. We we love horror. We especially love '80s horror. But uh, we totally spoil stuff. And so if you have not seen this movie as of this recording, it is available to watch for free on Pluto. And uh, I was going to ask you, Andy, how did you watch it? So I watched this one. I think it was. Uh, let's see here. Is it Tubi or Freebie or Pluto-y? So yeah, I watched this on Pluto. That's where I watched okay. it. Yeah. Man, you had me stumped. I was like, what's taking them so long? Is this an app I've never heard of? I was ready for you to drop the bomb, but uh, that's cool. I know I watched it on my DVD that I have, and I was talking to you about it because the version I watched is the director's cut, which does include um, kind of graphic footage, which is incredible, that was put back in. And I was really worried about us watching two other versions until you told me that you did own the DVD and you have seen the version. And so I'm glad that too much won't be a shock. Yeah, no, on that I've got that DVD that's got the uh, the lost footage on there or whatever. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so it was cool to uh, be able to see that finally because, you know, for a long time those scenes were, you know, the during that time, especially like after, uh, I don't know, just during that time it seemed like the MPA was like really cutting out stuff and and I guess there was a total of nine minutes cut from this movie when it was originally released in theaters, and. Uh, and they always knew that that footage still existed, but uh, but Paramount Pictures, for some reason, the you know the original company that released it was like they didn't they didn't want to release it for some reason. And then finally, uh, Lionsgate uh, licensed the movie for a D- their DVD release back in two thousand nine, and uh, so they were able to get that footage and include it in that release. So that was really cool. Uh, and then that same year, they put out the remake. Right. That's great timing. Somebody at uh, Lionsgate had it figured out, man. And I'm so glad they did, too. And it's really weird that they did that because, you know, Paramount had a lot to do with the Friday the 13th franchise. And in the first few installations of that, those movies are decently graphic. But then you get to, like, seven and there's like no gore and so you're right man in that 80s to 90s trend the mpaa went crazy but luckily for us we have dvd and we have what do we call unrated and that's what makes things so good because you get to see the way that the director and sometimes producer originally intended and for gore hounds uh you get what you want and it's pretty cool yeah i was trying to see who did the special effects because they were the ones that we saw once once you see the uh, oh they're incredible unedited yeah so uh, I don't think it's I don't think it's anybody that we've ever heard of yeah I mean if you had told me it was Tom Savini I would have believed you because it's that level of effects yeah especially when that old guy gets it the uh-huh. pickaxe through the happy through the head so happy yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah but so I mean yeah it's interesting they don't even talk about. Probably going to watch a, a behind-the-scenes uh, documentary or something, and maybe they'll mention it. But I'm going to go ahead and dive into the opening of this movie because I really like the way it opens up. You know, we're in a mine shaft, and we see a couple of miners who are looking for a place to be alone. And Andy, one of them, takes their clothes off. It's revealed to be a woman, and that kind of threw me. Not that women can't be miners, but I just didn't expect it, uh, especially in 1981. But the other miner doesn't strip down, and that's kind of weird, except for it's not because it's our killer. And the killer grabs this woman and puts pushes her back onto this pickaxe and it like busts through her chest where she's got a tattoo of a heart, which was pretty cool. But I love when movies start out with a good graphic kill. What did you think of the opening? Yeah, it's great. I mean, 
you've got uh, yeah all the all these early slashers. They all kind of did it. Halloween, Friday Thirteenth. They had like this pre-credits kill scene, and so it just it just like sets the tone for the movie. It lets you know what you're in for, and uh, so it, yeah, it's great to have this right at the beginning. And uh, we know that we're in for a ride, and so yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, and you're hoping they won't skip out on the effects. And then the <laughs> the title card's kind of funny because right when it does My Bloody Valentine, usually you see like a stock card or something that that comes up, but this was like an animated thing, and it had like blood leaking from it. I thought it was it was cheesy, but in a good way. Oh yeah, I love it. I love that that old animation like that. It just looks really cool. I'm gonna get a little personal, man. I got a question for you. You ready? Yeah. I don't need to know anything about your history. But if you could choose one place to have sex with your wife in public, where would it be? Because I couldn't imagine a mine would be a, a, a great choice. Yeah, that would be kind of weird. Well, you know, that would be probably one of the more private places because, you know, there might not be as many people there. Okay, so, let, I mean, I know I'm putting you on the spot and that's a weird question to ask, but I'm, but I'm asking you, like, let's pretend there's a public place that there's going to be no people. But it's just cool because it's not your house, it's not your apartment, it, you know, it's not your friend's house, it's a public place. Like, is there something that comes to mind? Because I got, like, two for me. <laughs> a, car- a carousel. <laughs> a carousel. It goes up and down for you. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. For me, I'm like, man, in the back of a hearse in a graveyard. That just rocks. Like that's yeah, Andy's eyes lit up. You can't take my answer, I already said it, but that's that's what I'm if Julie's listening, I'm just saying. <laughs> that reminds me of uh, Phantasm. Oh. Oh, I was even leaning towards uh, that and Night of the Demons a little bit, you know, coffee. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, nice. Well, you know, we're presented with the setup. We start to meet some of our characters, and we get our backstory as Mayor Hanniger. You know, he reinstates the Valentine's Day dance tradition, which has not happened for over 20 years since the murders. And we learn about Harry Warden and how he was a sole survivor in a mining accident and how he returned one year later to kill those who were responsible. And so what did you think of the setup? Yeah, this is a really cool uh, kind of urban legend thing that they set up, and that's a cool history to the town. And uh, you know, it, it's it's something that's tied in with uh, it's like a necessary evil of the town. They have this mine, and it's what people use to make a living. They ha- they have to work in the mine, and uh, without the mine, the town will probably just not will die off. Right. But the town is like inherently dangerous too, and so you have this you know tragedy that happened that's going to happen with something like that so it's really cool you have this urban legend that's so intertwined with the town and uh with the the kind of like the roots of the town and uh but yeah i really liked it um it you know the 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 whole idea of harry warden and and also they just never caught him that he just got away that was really cool and so it gives you a good foundation to build off of as far as like is the is you know harry warden is he back or is this you know, it, so well, you it's have got a that very whole, like Michael Myers thing going to it when it's like, oh, this person went to a mental institution and have they escaped? Are they back to murder people in the town? And you know they're pulling from Halloween. You know they are. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that's just kind of the the trope you have. Like, it's easy to kind of blame, or it's easy to have somebody like uh, somebody with mental illness be like the doing the murders because that that just seems to be kind of the trope of the time and. Um, it probably it's probably one of those things where they probably wouldn't do it as much today. Yeah. But but um, 
but no, it was it was a good setup for for the what we got later on. I mean, because especially the whole minor uh, outfit, you know, it's just so cool. I was just really cool. Yeah. You know, one thing I like too is with this backstory, I like the killer's calling card because the killer leaves behind a heart-shaped box that usually contains chocolates, but now it's bleeding human hearts. And I thought that was a nice touch. It's like a heart within a heart. Oh yeah, for sure. That was a really cool thing, and and it reminded me of. Uh, some newer movies that were definitely inspired by this. Uh, you like, got Valentine, uh-huh. uh, definitely inspired, and then even uh, like I know what you did last summer has a similar kind Absolutely. of thing with the the cards. You know, yep. maybe not the heart, but just the cards, kind of like. So yeah, yeah, and these uh, were no it, Hallmark cards, by the way. I could write better little rhymes than this. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it kind of made you wonder: like, when did the killer find time to make all these old? boxes up and write these cards well, create and, these cards and stuff and dude i mean the killer is <laughs> carving out human hearts like that sounds extremely difficult like did you use a knife or your pickaxe to do that because that sounds like that takes some time yeah for sure i mean with a with the pickaxe you know it'd be pretty quick i guess but if you're good you <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know andy we get to meet uh the rest of our characters and boy is there a lot of them we got gretchen and dave and hollis and patty sylvia howard mike john tommy harriet and you're, and you're like people are listening like dude that is a lot of people that's cool we get to see you know them every once in a while but our main focus is on the love triangle between sarah or sarah <laughs> and Axel and TJ and TJ is the mayor's son. So what did you think of the lineup of victims that we're presented with, but especially this love triangle that we have? Yeah, I, I really like this group of friends. It kind of reminded me of some later movies too. Like I've been saying this, I feel like these earlier movies really like inspired a lot of films that came on later on. And so I like the, uh, the friend group It reminded me of like scream because the chemistry that they had, yes, um, you know, they, you could tell that they've been friends for a while. Uh, they kind of probably grew up together, all working in the mines. I guess it's not necessarily like Scream, but well, but it just it's also had, like they're not kids either, and that's so unique to have adults as your cast in a horror movie like this. Yeah, that's true. They they're a little bit older. They're not teenagers. They don't act older. So <laughs> that's true. They they kind they still act like they're you know kids. But yeah, I really liked. Uh, the chemistry, so you know, Axel and TJ, you can tell that they're friends, but they've got, they both like the same woman, so there's this wedge in between them. And, you know, there's even a scene where, uh, you know, like, the, there, there's like a couple of scenes where they, the subject is brought up, hey, you know, TJ, too bad Axel's with your girl, your girl now, Sarah, and, and TJ, they all, oh, that's okay, no skin off my back. That's what he says at first. But then, like later on, they they kind of start talking about it. Like they even kind of almost do a harmonica duet in one scene. Yeah. <laughs> and but then, like Axel kind of like stops. But then they start trying to talk. Well, what are we going to do about this? And you know, and so you could tell that they're friends. Or they they used to be friends. They're still kind of friends. But this is definitely like a uh, a wedge between them. So I think that the writing was really good in that aspect. Uh, the acting was really good. Uh, you can see the struggle, the turmoil, especially with Sarah having to try to uh, decide who she wanted to be with. So I think, you know, in that regard, the acting and writing was really good in this in that respect. Yeah, I agree. I felt like the writing was very believable. The performances are realistic, and the conversations, the the interactions felt very authentic. It was a very believable group of friends, and it was. 
it's a cast that I enjoy seeing. Like, I care about what happens to these people because we get invested in it. And it's such, like, this love triangle, though it's it's hokey, of course. And usually when they do this in movies, it doesn't work. But for whatever reason, it does work in this movie because it gives us a lot of character development. It's an in-depth side story, but it doesn't necessarily always feel like the side story because it involves your main characters. And I got to say, like, I found myself really liking TJ as a main character in here and you allude to it already but you know TJ he had he's you know he's the mayor's son he left to go out to the coast because he was going to make it big and and you know be famous and stuff and it just doesn't work out and you know what happens when you fell in life you go back to your roots so he goes home and all his old friends are there you know his family worked in the mine so he's going to work in the mine that kind of thing and like you said, he's got to face this reality of like, he left his girlfriend, Sarah, like without saying goodbye or anything. And so she doesn't know if he's going to return or anything. And he just kind of comes back out of the blue. And we don't know if he expects things to be like they used to be, but you can kind of sense that's what he was going for. But unfortunately, like his best friend of, you know, when he was here is now dating his girlfriend. And, you know, Andy, we didn't get to see what their relationship was like before, like while TJ was gone. But I got to say, now that TJ's back in the picture, I am not feeling the chemistry between Sarah and Axel. And who the hell names her kid Axel anyway, unless they're the lead singer of Guns N' Roses. Exactly. You know, and that's something I noticed too. They had scenes with, you know, they had scenes with TJ and Sarah talking about their relationships, but they never really had any of those scenes with Axel and Sarah. Right. So I thought that was kind of an interesting contrast. I don't know if they were like, I'm sure, I'm sure it was, uh, what's, what's the word? It was, uh, they did it on purpose, yeah. but I don't, you know, um, <laughs> we're not writers, but yeah, right? <laughs> but, but there's a lot of cool details like that in this movie that really kind of, you got to give the writing credit, even little details about like cooking meals on like a car engine, you know, and yes. stuff like that. Just That's pretty cool. Things, Things that, you know, maybe like a mining, miners would do, just little things like that, that really kind of add depth to the character. I like that a lot. Do you know how to play a harmonica? Uh, I kind of know the general idea behind it. I had one <laughs> when I was a little kid, and it came with a little book. Like, it told you, you know, it had highlighted, like, blow here, blow here, blow here, like, you know, to play nursery rhyme songs, and I really dug it. But, man, when I see somebody break out in a harmonica and, like, really make a... a you know, a folky type tune. I'm very impressed. And when they started to do a duet, I was like, you guys need to forget about Sarah and start a band. I mean, his name's already Axel. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. She's like, she, so Sarah's kind of like the Yoko Ono of the band, right? Exactly. <laughs> well, there's a scene where the chief and the mayor receive a Valentine's box and it contains a human heart inside. And it's kind of like a, Oh no, not again moment and this leads us to our second kill of the film and it's a sweet old lady who runs a laundry bat named mabel and andy man we got to talk about this kill because she is such a sweet old lady like we think that she's going to be a big character we like her a lot she's really excited she's decorating the whole laundry mat and then all of a sudden uh, harry warden shows up and kills her with that pickaxe but we don't see it it's an off-screen kill but we are totally entertained with the aftermath yeah it's a really cool setup you know she's by herself in this laundromat and you just have kind of the things going on there and yeah the, this movie kind of breaks a lot of the conventions of the movies that came before you know a, a lot of times before it's just uh teenagers that are kind of lined up for slaughter but in this movie you, you have the killer like 
uh, targeting like older people and, and other, you know, kind of like non-conventional victims. And yeah, so yeah, Mabel and, uh, you know, she's, she's, she's not even like partying or like doing anything crazy. She's just at the laundromat. She's actually had to wash some decorations that she dropped because of the crazy, uh, kids, you know, scaring her or whatever. Right. And, uh, yeah, but it was just, you know, Harry Warden, he doesn't discriminate. If anybody is going to celebrate Valentine's Day or do the dance, uh, have anything to do with the dance, he's going to uh, eliminate them. <laughs> yeah, and he does so in a fashion that whenever her body is found, it's found tumbling in the dryer. And I know in the unrated version, she tumbles for quite a bit. Like, we get a whole almost 10 seconds of this scene, and these effects are fantastic. Like, it's gross. Oh yeah, for sure. That and that was one of the scenes that was cut out. So we get to see it now, like in the uncut version. So yeah, the effects were uh, were really, uh, really, really well done. <laughs> yeah, and especially when you do like an off-screen kill, like we kind of get let down. But when we get a reveal like this, it totally makes up for it. Yeah, as you kind of see the full scope of what the killer did, like with the pickaxe and stuff, and yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's pretty pretty it's uh, graphic. Yeah, yeah. And you know, Andy, because of these events the mayor and the chief decide they're going to cancel the dance and they call the asylum because they're really worried like Harry Warden is back so they call the asylum of where he's supposed to be locked up at but the problem is there's no record of him and everybody's confused because they know he got committed there and they're like well either he got transferred or he died or he escaped right and so we're like oh great here we go and our main characters are not happy with this because everybody was looking forward to the dance. And so they're at the local town bar and they're drinking and they're talking about it. And then even though our bartender happy is like, don't have a dance. That's a bad idea. Like he is the crazy Ralph, you know, of this. And this is crazy. Cause this is, I said that this is 1981, like Friday the 13th had just come out. And there's a lot of stuff that happened in this movie that happened between one and two and some other movies we'll talk about later. But they're not listening to the bartender. They don't take them seriously, and they decide not only are they going to have a party, but Andy, it's going to be in the mine. Yeah, and and you know, so we yeah, it's interesting that we've seen this already become a trope just a few movies into the, like the '80s, where the you know you have the old man kind of giving the warning to the kids, and you know this this murders that happened. It was something that happened like a generation ago, like twenty years. It was like twenty years ago. So these kids, they weren't even. I mean, they were probably like little kids when not all this stuff happened obviously yeah yeah. yeah. as we see later on in the movie but um yeah it's just it's another example and and it seems like these movies kind of uh play up this idea of the younger like the new generation not caring about the history of the town or you know the things that happened in the past like it's going to turn around and affect them like they think oh those that happened a long time ago it's not going to affect us but now it's coming back around and it will affect them. Well, and to be fair, they also, you know, the chief does not want to spread panic. And so they tell everybody that Mabel died from a heart attack, which is kind of funny because usually the hearts are cut out. So technically, (laughs) but at the end of the day, yeah, I mean, there's no real reason to believe that murders are going to happen again because it's been over 20 years though they haven't had a dance in 20 years there hasn't been murders in 20 years and so they're not scared at all they think that the bartender is kind of crazy and we find out he is kind of crazy because andy this scene is awesome he decides that he's going to pull the ultimate prank i think this is a total andy move because andy you've already told me many times that you're a prankster and i don't know how he did this but 
This bartender basically takes a dummy in a mining outfit, strings it up into some sort of shed, like a closet, and every time you open the door, it raises its pickaxe, and Andy, he thinks it's the funniest thing in the world. Oh, yeah, this is a really cool really cool prank, and I think if, if he would have been able to pull it off, it would have really scared the kids, probably. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great setup for the for this scene. I mean, uh, we have this prank, and, and usually in these uh, slasher movies, we do kind of get a a fake kill like in the beginning or something or like a prank. And we do get a prank in this one too. But, uh, this is kind of like falling in line with that. That's kind of funny that, uh, it's one of the older people that's trying to do a prank on the kids <laughs> instead of one of the kids trying to do a prank on somebody else. But uh, it's, it's a great setup for the, the kill that we get here. And uh, it's, it's a total surprise. And it definitely, uh, I think when audiences first saw that it was like a jump scare for sure. It was. And so what this looks like is, the bartender opens the door, and the dummy raises his arm every single time. And he is giggling himself. Like, he is drunk, and he thinks that he just did a bang-up job. He does it, like, three or four times. But on that last time, he notices, and he, like, opens the door really quick, and he closes it. But the miner didn't raise his arm. And so he starts to walk away, and he thinks back, like, wait a minute. Something was wrong. When he opens the door, that's because the dummy has been pulled to the side, and it was Harry Warden standing there. And Harry Warden takes the pickaxe and drives it underneath the bartender's chin. It goes through his head and out of his eye socket, and his eye is pierced on the tip of the pickaxe. And, Andy, this was an amazing kill. Yeah. I mean, the effects are great in this in this shot. you know, And it's a shame that originally they were taken out. Yeah, but thank, like I said, we got them back, and you get to see them in all their glory, and they hold up so well, as all practical effects tend to do. But Andy, as we're getting through these kills, all I can say is it's time to party. Yeah, and and the whole movie is kind of working up to this point. You know, the whole the whole that you know the whole idea of the story is that the town is getting preparing for this Valentine's Day dance, and then you know. So we're kind of wait, we're kind of preparing for it, but then the dance gets canceled. But then the kids are still going to have a party. Where are they? Where are they going to have the party? At the mine. And so it's a great setup for what we're going to get later on uh, for the third act. It's, it's a great setup for that because we have you know some great chase scenes in the mines and things like that. And I think it's just a perfect uh, setting for that for the third act. You know, I never thought of it till right now, but it's. Scream had to totally take something from this because the third act is the full party. Think about it. Like in Scream, everybody goes to the house, and that's where we have all the excitement go down. Well, now we're going to the mine. We're about to have all the excitement go down. And although it looks like everybody's having fun, we got a guy juggling. We got a guy sniffing soda up his nose, and people are just kind of cutting loose. You know, everybody's there, except this sucks. The next person to die is Dave, and I'm Dave, but I totally wouldn't do this. Um... He goes into the kitchen, and there's, like, uh, some sleepaway camp vibes because there's a, a giant pot of boiling water, uh, but instead of corn, there's floating hot dogs in there, and he's thinking, I'm going to have me a hot dog, and the killer thinks the same thing, except Dave's a hot dog, so he grabs Dave's head, and he drowns him in the pot, and, his, you know, of course, he gets drowned and burned, and then his body gets stuffed into a freezer, and so we didn't spend a lot of time with Dave, but uh, he got a pretty crappy death. I hate one. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Like, yeah, like we, maybe there was some other scenes maybe earlier that got cut out or something. But oh, that's a good point. Maybe. Yeah, he, he kind of seemed like one of those prankster kind of guys. But we actually have another character that was more of a prankster. So yeah. I don't know. He was just kind of like a 
a secondary character that was like he's he just didn't really his ha- party started. Yeah, he was one of those guys that he wasn't really cool enough to have a date, but he still came anyway. You know, typical Dave. Uh, <laughs> but uh, well, yeah. you know, there are a couple people who do have dates, Andy, and one of those couples we got to talk about is Sylvia and John. And this is a very notable scene in the movie because they decide to go to where the showers are, and it's kind of funny because they're kind of getting hot and heavy, and he's got a condom, he's ready to go. But she wants some beer. So he leaves, and this is John. He leaves to go get beer, and Sylvia gets one of the coolest deaths in the movie. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I'm reminded of Halloween with this scene. Like, So yep. you have a couple, and the woman wants the guy to go get a beer, and <laughs> then, then things happen. <laughs> That's right, and Harry Warden shows up. Grabs her by the head, lifts her into the air, carries her. We get a really cool like POV type footage where he carries her through the shower to one of the shower heads, and he slams her on it. Like the back of her head pierces through. The nozzle goes into her mouth, and it is a very cool kill because it focuses on her feet. They hang down just like in Halloween. But then Andy, even though this is completely logical, I didn't see it coming. It was so cool when the bloody water started shooting out of her mouth. I was like, "Oh, that is icing on the cake for this kill." Yeah, and we and in the uncut version, we definitely we get the extended shot. It's just, yep. it just really showcases the effects work on this. It's it's really cool. You know what else is cool is when John comes back and sees her because his reaction is bonkers as shit. He sees her and he just stares at her all wide-eyed and it's like five seconds of nothing, almost like he forgot his lines and then he just puts his hands on his head. It's the most Mm -hmm. awkward reaction, but it works for that kind of character. And I love the lead-up to the the kill, too. You have Sylvia, you know, shares a noise and all of a sudden, like, these... So you have these minor uniforms that are kind of hung up. I don't know if they're hung up to dry or what. They're just kind of hung like up in the air. It's kind of where they're stored or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so you just pull on a rope or something, and, they just, and one will drop down. And all these minor outfits just start dropping down around Sylvia. And, you know, understandably so, it's pretty freaky. And then so it's, she's just, like, disoriented. And then you have all these minor suits, like, falling down. But then you have the real minor standing there, you know, hair. And uh, so, yeah, it's it's a cool setup for that. It reminds me a lot of things that they do. Uh, what comes to mind, like Scream Three, when all the Ghostface costumes are there, and you don't know which one's Ghostface. Or I know she last summer with the in the shop where you don't know where the killer's standing. They typically do this when there's like mannequins and stuff, but same effect, and it's done really well. And um, Andy, a group of friends decide that um, they're gonna go down to the mine, but it's okay because it's gonna be quick. So six people want to go down and take a little tour of the mine. And I gotta say, man. It looks kind of fun riding in one of those mine carts. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of like a little roller coaster. It's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, and I may actually like this because genuinely I don't dig roller coasters. I'm, it's weird. It's like I'm not afraid of heights in that like I can go on the roof, I can climb ladders pretty high and things of that nature. But something about like not being in control on a ride up high, like maybe just the idea of like crashing off or something. But you put me where I'm just going down in a tunnel, that might be okay. But, you know, Andy... Our group of friends get separated because, after all, this is a horror movie. Oh, yeah. They've got to go split up. Well, you know, some of them got to split up because they want to go make out or whatever. And, and uh, But it's I, I do really like this group of characters. I think I feel like the ones that go down in the mine are obviously like our main set of friends that we are focusing on in this story. So you have Hollis. I really like Hollis. He's a good yeah. – seems like a good character. Like and, 
yeah, very likable. So it was it was really gut punch when whenever his he his character got killed. Yeah, but, well, uh, this, he proves to be a good dude because there were scenes where like Axel and TJ are getting into like a bro fight, and Hollis is the one who breaks them up. Like he seems to have a very steady head on his shoulders. Yeah, for sure. Let's um, so, yeah, I mean, hey, let's talk about Mike and Harriet because they're the couple that you referred to about going off to uh, have some alone time. And we're delivered another off-screen kill with a really cool reveal. Yeah, like we don't even know what's really happened to them until you know it's re- until the until the reveal later on. We just see them making out in the room, and I guess I think there was a scene shot, you know, of the kill, but I think it was destroyed or so i don't think it exists anymore yeah i don't know if it was maybe way too graphic or maybe it just didn't look good and which i don't believe but at the end of the day it's a bummer to not see it but the reveal is really cool because there's this giant auger bit that's literally drilled through both of them and then again i'm getting like you know friday 13th 2 vibes mm-hmm. um but it's kind of cool oh, yeah. because i mean he drilled her <laughs> so <laughs> there's some symbolism there but um yeah it's it's pretty crazy because they're laying on top of each other and there's blood everywhere, and man, you know, at this point, obviously Harry Warden is there because Harry Warden's like walking through the tunnel and knocking out lights, and as of right now, TJ and Axel are not down there, but they're up top, and then they find out okay, we need to go down, so they kind of put their bullshit aside and they go down the mine shaft together. And obviously they got to put on minor suits because I guess that's what they do. But then they get separated. And so we spend a little bit of time with TJ. We spend a little bit of time with Axel. And, you know, we know like which of these characters we've liked up until this point. But we still don't really know what's happening in this movie. Like what are all the cards uh, or all the signs pointing to. And unfortunately, one of them is the death of Hollis that you were alluding to. And my dude, there ain't many worse things than getting nails shot into your head with a nail gun. Yeah, that, that was really awful. And, and he didn't, it wasn't a quick death either. No, he, because you know, he was stumbling around and stuff. And those nails are huge, my dude. Like he, sh- one yeah. of them gets shot right into his temple and he just, he kind of holds his own. And then the, the killer literally has time to reload the cartridge with another giant nail and then shoots it right in the forehead. And if that's not enough, he still manages to walk away, thereby defending you and, and saying that not only is he likable, he's a badass. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, he, he definitely is, uh, yeah, stum- stumbles off and. But it's it's interesting though. Whenever they first discover that things are murders are happening, it's interesting who who the person was that says it's Terry Ward. He's back. Yeah, you know, for I, don't, sure. I don't know if you noticed that. I did absolutely. <laughs> and you know, another scene that's pretty cool to me is when they decide that okay, like we got everybody together uh, except Howard. Howard's nowhere to be found at this point. But they decide that they're just going to take you know, the mine shaft back up. But when they get back, they find out it's been destroyed. So nobody can go up. Nobody can come down. And I remember thinking, oh, shit, what do you do in that situation? Well, there's a ladder. It's like a giant ladder, but they can climb the ladder. And so our survivors decide they're going to climb the ladder and get out. And then Andy, Howard's body, comes falling down, and it's hung in a noose. And then his head is ripped off from the noose, and his body crashes on the floor. And his head is just left bloody in the noose. And I thought this was pretty incredible. Yeah, it's it's a really cool scene. I mean, just the shot of the the body dropping down and the body continuing to fall down the 
down there and just throw on the ladder like in midair, just freaking out. Yeah, it's it's really cool. I I mean, just just the whole. It's just another plus to this mind setting. I mean, you can have so many things you can do with it. Uh, it's really cool. Yeah, and I felt like they did utilize as much as they could uh, to make it plausible, and I totally applaud them for it because it's fantastic. And my question to you is, at this point, do you continue climbing up the ladder or do you go back down? Because obviously the body came from above, so you're like, okay, the killer's up there. So I guess it wouldn't make sense to go back up, but when you go down, there's really nowhere else to go. Yeah, I was wondering about that too. It's it's like, where are they going to go? They're going back down into the mine, but... Then I guess they figure, well, they can ride the car back up, like the way they came down. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, there's a handful of them. They should be able to take Harry Warden, but that's not how these movies work out. And so they decide, oh, shit, let's go back down. So they go down the ladder, and Axel's kind of leading the way, and then he stops and lets everybody pass him, and he kind of like backs them up. But they go too far, and he gets left behind. And then all of a sudden, we don't see Axel no more, and they go back to look for him because they hear him scream. But Axel was killed off screen like it happens a lot in this movie. In the aftermath is we just see that the I don't know what you call like the rail the wooden railing has been broken and we see like the headlamp in the water and everything so we're believed that he got killed and pushed in the water or drowned or or whatever but okay at this point we have to accept it Axel's dead and so they are going to band together and try to get out of here and then from out of nowhere this scene was pretty cool Patty gets impaled with the pickaxe right in her stomach yeah, it was, this was definitely like a jump scare. I mean, you're just—they're just kind of wandering around. I think they get—I think it's just the two girls left, and they get separated from TJ because there's like a cave-in or something, and so right. I think he gets separated from them. So they're kind of left on their own, and so yeah, it just kind of Harry Ward just pops out of nowhere, and and yeah, it's another decent effect. I mean, it, it was like a—it was just like a pickaxe to the the gut but it was it wasn't bad yeah every kill doesn't have to be like overly graphic they just need to be well done and i agree with you i thought this one was real well done because out of all of them this was probably the most believable one you know he swings with all his might it goes deep into her stomach and then naturally when i mean i would assume if i got stabbed in the stomach one of my first things would be to try to grab the weapon and pull it out she does that but that pickaxe is buried in her abdomen and so she like slowly slides down uh the back wall of this mine and then harry warden's gonna pull the pickaxe out and uh go after TJ and Sarah and that's exactly what happens man we get into a brawl and it seems like Harry Warden is going to get the best of them because he you know knocks Sarah to the side he tackles TJ down and right before he kills TJ one of the craziest things happens that should happen in more horror movies and Sarah reaches up and just pulls the mask off and that would like freak out um, any killer because their identity is revealed and speaking of that Andy our killer is not Harry Warden who is it no it's Axel yeah it's uh I don't know man it's I remember watching this movie a lot and then I hadn't watched it in forever and so when I was rewatching this with Julie and to prepare for this podcast, I actually forgot who was the killer this time. And so I was pretty happy with the reveal. How did you feel about it? Yeah, no, I thought it was interesting. Like I, I didn't really know who – I wasn't sure who it was going to be like because there's still this question mark of who, who it was going to be. You know, it was a TJ. Um, and uh, and I, I really like the way that they uh, – kind of played with this uh in the remake you know they kind of switched it up on us mm-hmm. i thought that was really cool 
Um, so, uh, spoilers for the remake, I guess a little bit, but anyway, um, but yeah, no, I, I like the reveal. I think it made sense, you know, especially when we get a little bit of a flashback to when Axel's a kid and what happened when he was a kid. Yeah. And, and it basically lets us know as an audience, like, okay, Harry Warden is not the killer, but Axel is in, you know, impersonating Harry Warden. And the reality is Axel, his dad was one of the two people that Harry Warden came back to kill a year later. Cause his dad was half responsible for the, you know, the cave in and the death of all those miners. And so one thing we didn't mention is Harry Warden. I told you he was a sole survivor. Well, it's because he ate everybody else. Like he went full cannibal. Like you talk about beast mode, <laughs> motherfucker did it, but this didn't sit well with Axel, and it messed him up, man. And, you know, we got signs throughout the movie of Axel being very controlling, and I wouldn't be too surprised if he was abusive because he's kind of a piece of shit, to be honest, at least to Sarah. And um, when it's revealed, it was just totally believable. But they decide that uh, this shit ain't going to slide, man. And TJ and Sarah, you know, they take this giant rock and they hit him over the head, and then all of a sudden the mine just starts collapsing because this whole time they've been swinging shovels and pickaxes and breaking down all these barriers, you know, like load-bearing walls. And so the mine's caving in, and so they get out, and Harry Warden gets buried in the rubble. And then, wouldn't you know how convenient, the police now show up, and they're like, oh, wait, he's still alive. And so, of course, they're freaking out like, what? And, you know, TJ had told everybody that, okay, you know, it's not Harry Warden, it's Axel. Axel's the killer. And everybody's freaking out because Axel, again, you know, grew up in town. Everybody knows him. And you find out, wow, he sucks. He's a killer. So they go back in there and they see, like, his arm, like, his hands holding out. And for whatever reason, I guess because Sarah's just a nice person, but she, like, reaches down to grab his hand. Like, there's, like, a sense of compassion here. Uh, maybe a little Halloween 4 vibe. I don't know. But whenever she reaches down, Axel grabs her hand and she like jerks away and she it's just his arm because Andy they showed us that he cut his arm off. Yeah, that was uh savage. I guess yeah, it was pretty savage. Yeah, I think just to kind of get away cuz I think but I think Axel was just kind of out of his mind at this point. And I wonder if he didn't actually believe he was Harry Warden maybe. Oh, true. Like yeah, I don't know. That's but yeah, point. he was just totally out of it and and it kind of makes you wonder like Okay, so somebody's has an amputated hand and they run off into a mine. Like, how long is he gonna really gonna survive all that? You know. Yeah, he doesn't have anybody to eat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I mean, he he is technically still alive at the end of the movie, though. So that is true, and it sucks that we never got a My Bloody Valentine two. There might have been some production for one, but apparently this didn't kind of wow people when it came out. It wasn't a, a commercial success, which is really unfortunate, and maybe. You know, uh, maybe people didn't like the movie. Maybe it was because of all the edits. I don't know. But uh, I'll tell you, you know, for this movie, I absolutely love it. And from the sound of it, you're right there with me. Oh, yeah, for sure. I love I love the setting. I love the the killer, uh, the urban legend. It's just really cool. I love the cast of characters. They have great chemistry. Um, and I love the score, too. I don't know if, if you ever caught who did the score, but yeah, I did. it's uh, Paul Zaza. And I knew and that name already because of what else he's done. Yeah, I did Prom Night. The score to Prom Night, which is excellent. Andy, do you remember uh, on a podcast we did a long time ago? I forgot which one it was, but I told you I love the disco, baby. That's why I knew him is because that Prom Night soundtrack's a banger, dude. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah, this is a great movie. I mean... Uh, 
And it's, it's funny, yeah, this is Quentin Tarantino's favorite slasher movie. He's got good taste. Can't yeah. fault him for it. As so long as he likes the uh, uncut version, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> well, Andy, I mean, that's about it for my Bloody Valentine. Would you like to know what movie we're doing next? Yeah, sure. All right. Well, the cool thing is it's going to be another film from the same year. However, it's not one you've mentioned. I was kind of leaning towards doing Prom Night, and, and we'll definitely do that in the future. But there's another one that I wanted to do, and, and it tells us a very important thing. And that important thing is don't go in the woods alone. For some people, a simple warning is never enough. By the time Alma heard it, it was too late. Something's out there in the woods, and it's killing people. Joni never thought it could happen to her. Ingrid and Peter couldn't believe it happened to them. Something's out there, waiting. Something a little bit wild and crazy. For some people, a simple warning is never enough. It's your decision. If you want it chopped off, just take it to the woods. Remember, the call of the wild is the last thing on earth you want to hear. Don't go in the woods. It's coming soon. For some people, a simple warning is never enough. All right, Andy, so um, that thing I was alluding to is uh, one important thing they taught us is uh, if you want it cut off, just go ahead and go to the woods. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's some clever taglines there. Uh, you know, they must have uh, hired a decent uh, writer to write that that trailer. Oh, yeah. Well, the thing, too, is I think for the longest time this movie didn't have a trailer, and so long after the movie was already out, they kind of cut one together to kind of appease its fans because Don't Go in the Woods or Don't Go in the Woods Alone, however you want to refer to it, has a big cult following, and I thought it would be the next perfect movie to do because it's such a fun movie to talk about. Yeah, this, this one's going to be good. Going to be a lot of fun to revisit. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Uh, so I remember it being pretty low budget, but you know it's it's going to be fun to talk about it. Yeah, man. So let's talk about you for a minute. You know, uh, you're kind of my go-to guy when I do these horror movie reviews, and I'm kind of your go-to guy whenever you have guests on your show, and you're the host of the World of Horror podcast, and you know you put episodes out weekly or bi-weekly at worst, and you got a lot of good stuff over there. So let's tell the audience about it. Yeah, thanks. So yeah, World of Horror podcast, and I. Uh, I focus on some more obscure horror movies from the 50s up to the 90s and uh, just stuff that I think needs to be uh, – so I, you know, I, I try to find movies that I feel like are overlooked and, and maybe should uh, – people should actually uh, know about. You know, Maybe try to shine a light on some of these older movies that uh, for whatever reason people just don't know about them. And so it's really fun kind of digging through these movies and finding some really – cool gems out there so my la- my latest episode is two evil eyes from 1990 and it's actually uh written and directed by both dario argento and george romero and it's got a whole slew of of actors that you've heard of from harvey Keitel, adrian barbeau and tom atkins so i mean 
uh, it's just one of those cool movies that it's a shame that it's not more well known. But uh, yeah, that's the movie I talked about in my latest episode that I put out this week. And uh, yeah, so it's just me kind of talking about these movies, sharing a little bit about their production and some trivia and just sharing my thoughts on them. Yeah, man. And I told you, like, I, I listen to all your episodes. We're buds. Uh, but I am a fan of your show. And I like your show in a sense that um, I like the way you do it because you do lots of solo episodes. And they're, you know, anywhere from 15 to 25 minutes. And so sometimes you have a short drive. You don't want to listen to a big podcast. And this is kind of the podcast for you because you educate people on movies that maybe they've heard of and not seen or probably never even heard of. And though Two Evil Eyes, if you're a big, big horror fan, you probably know about it but it's definitely a what do we call um i'm drawing a blank uh what, what do you call the multiple stories uh, anthology oh, you call it yeah, an anthology yeah. right and yeah. but it's edgar Allan poe based and that's right up my mm. alley and uh it's a lot of fun and i love dario so i'd highly recommend it if um you never checked out world of horror podcast there's no shame in starting with the episode of two evil eyes so andy thanks for taking the time to come on this podcast with me and talk about my bloody valentine yeah, as always, it's a blast. Thanks. And there you have it, My Bloody Valentine from 1981 with Andy. What'd you guys think? Man, I love this movie. I feel like it's so underrated. And if you love this movie, then kudos to you because you got good taste. And I'm not talking to Quentin Tarantino. I'm talking to my listeners. Unless, of course, Quentin listens to my podcast, which... That'd be fucking cool. But, uh, yeah, man, this is a cool movie. It's definitely got great rewatch value. It might make its way into every February watch, but I think kind of like Andy said, I mean, it's good any time of the year. So if you are in the mood for some good kills and a good slasher, watch My Bloody Valentine from 1981. I've seen the remake, but I saw it in theater, and I don't think I've watched it since. And so I'll have to show that to Julie and see what she thinks, and then by doing that, I'll get my rewatch in. But... Yeah, hopefully you guys like this episode and you can get excited for the other episode we have, Don't Go in the Woods. Um, You know, depending on where you find it, it's called Don't Go in the Woods or Don't Go in the Woods Alone. But uh, it's a zonky-ass movie. It's got a cult following. It is... It's a horror movie, but it's kind of like one to watch with your friends or one that you can just kick back and laugh. It's like a group of people got together and they just fucking did the best they could and it's totally serviceable. There's some fun kills in it. There's some off-the-wall characters that you kind of got to see it to believe it. And uh, I don't know. I just I really like it and it felt like a good movie uh, to watch with Andy. And so if you want to watch it, I know it was available on Tubi. You might find it on some of the other free apps. I have the DVD because I enjoyed the movie obviously but the bonus features are a lot of fun there's a really cool making of so if you like this movie but you've never owned it you can probably youtube it um but if you own it then kind of give props to the you know publishing house or whatnot but um yeah stay tuned because you got that coming Uh, that'll be next month and i got a couple other episodes that should drop pretty soon there's gonna be some top fives that are definitely fun and i'm still working to get that Power Ranger episode uh, out for you guys. So I'll let that be that. You guys have a wonderful day, and thank you for listening to the All Things Dave podcast. (laughs) 